You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast that explores love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak. And I'm Sophia Alexandra. And we're back, baby. Yeah. Cokes, I'm so happy you're back from your road trip. Thank you. I missed you so much. I missed you so much. You guys, I spent one day literally crying in the car, (laughs) mostly because of how much I miss Sophia. (laughs) I know that should make me sad, but like secretly or not secretly, I'm very flattered. Well, like, oh, she does love me. <laughs> she cried for 10 hours. Oh, my God. I was like, oh, my God. So flattered. <laughs> it was very painful, but I feel a lot better. I took a very solitary, safe, socially distant road trip back to see my family, but even more importantly, to see my grandma because it had been a while and I was kind of delaying a trip that I had planned earlier because of covid and i was like i would hate for her to you know all this stuff i would hate for her to get sick and not have seen her and whatever and i wanted to see my family so i took that road trip back uh it was amazing to just reconnect with my fam and i stopped and saw an ex on my way. <laughs> like you do. Coke so. really doesn't know how to let go. She's like, I don't even want you, but I will drop in on you. <laughs> I will haunt you still. <laughs> I will sit on your couch and look around at how you've decorated your apartment. Hmm. And quietly judge you. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's doing well. It was good to see him. And shout out to my current boyfriend for being so cool about me just doing whatever. without being jealous i mean that's really i I feel like the older you get the more you realize that is an important quality in a partner especially for a sex podcaster right totally and uh in that amount of time you also started an OnlyFans, and your boyfriend's also super cool about that Oh, he is. Oh, you guys, I can't miss this opportunity. To I know. Plug you got to plug fans. the OnlyFans. What are you, new? <laughs> I am a newbie. It is still in my first month, but I am actually having a blast. You can find me at Coco Peep Show. <laughs> C-O-C-O-P-E-E-P Show. That is right. And yeah, if you've always been like, you know, she sounds hot. Does she look hot? You can check out my OnlyFans. Um, <laughs> what do those titties look like? <laughs> exactly. If you want to listen to eye-opening content while picturing Courtney's titties, this is the time. <laughs> this is the time to get in on that game. <laughs> I posted a, a booty pic just on my Instagram and Sophia said, what, was, what did you say, Soph? Oh, yeah, you posted a picture of your butt and you said it's a full moon out, which is what I always say when you change in hotel rooms. Because <laughs> Courtney will just drop trow without me like knowing that it's happening and I'll turn around and her full ass is just always out. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know it was a full moon today. <laughs> so when I saw that photo, I was like, oh, I miss traveling with you. I miss seeing your butt unexpectedly pop up next to me in a hotel room. <laughs> Surprise. But enough about my ass, Sophia, <laughs> who is today's guest? Today's guest is one of my favorite people, Miles Gray. He is hilarious and fun, and you've been on the Daily Zeitgeist. I've been on the Daily Zeitgeist, so we've gotten to know him. Um, but the one thing that people might not know is he's a super talented improviser like he's so good off the cuff and he's like real casual about it yeah good luck not being completely charmed by him i know (laughs) yeah it's insane he's the funniest sweetest cutest man you guys will love him and uh also i think it's really funny whenever he tells me that he couldn't hack it doing stand-up I was like, what are you talking about? You're like the funniest. And he's like, no, it was too much. And people didn't always laugh. I was like, shut up. (laughs) He's the like perfect podcaster, literally. Totally. So without further ado, here's Miles Gray. Real, real, real. 
excited to be back with another episode of Private Parts Unknown and another episode of our anti-racism series. This one was really special because we have our really good friend and my other podcasting partner, Miles Gray, on. And you guys have heard him on 420 Day Fiance, of course, every day on the Daily Zeitgeist. And he's just uh, great. So he's here and we're so happy. Thanks for coming, Miles. Me? Now? Speaking? (laughs) Yes? I would just like to say he's on the Daily Zeitgeist every day. He's not in a fight with Jack, right? Was Uh. there not? I literally texted (laughs) Sophia. I was like, are they in a fight? (laughs) Look, um... If I said there was intention, that would be a lie. You know, <laughs> things are very tense right now. Um, and I'm not going to discuss what occurred, who did what, or who didn't do what. Uh, but we found a, a point of peace for now. We're at a, a there's a moment of respite uh, through the turbulence. Mm. No, I love Jack. So we're, but we like fucking <laughs> with people. And even though we say we're fucking around, people are like, oh, f- what? They're getting divorced. Well, I get it. You know, like if you're used to uh, the same thing coming out of your earbuds every day and there's like different voices, you're like, what? Like a baby seeing like the the mustache a dad shaved off or some shit. Totally. So is Jack the mustache and you're the dad? I'm the beard. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who's what. I can't grow a mustache or a beard, so he's probably that. Like, he's he definitely could grow a, a dad. Wild he's definitely a dad. And everyone who doesn't listen to the Daily Zeitgeist is like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Please do. Or yeah, or, or it's don't. It's a great pod. You guys get in there. <laughs> if you, if, yeah, if you want to get really uh, enmeshed in the, the world's ills of the day, both in a funny way. Yeah, well, we're here to talk about one of the world's ills, uh, racism. Oh. And... We're here to solve it. Like a small one, right? It's like the smallest one, probably. I'd say the smallest ill. It's just so weird, you know. It's a blemish. It's just so odd to be talking about racism uh, because I believed we solved it in 2008. Uh, I thought we did too. November. And so it's really, and then, and then, and then I saw Hamilton and then I saw Get Out twice. So followed I'm, John King and. Yeah, yeah, it's so really, done, really right? weird. It, I, uh, yeah, you hate to see it. You really do. <laughs> and you want to fucking do something about it. Uh, yeah, it's it's front and center. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's been front and center. It's front and center for a lot of people all the time. And it's something that other people may have the privilege of not having to confront constantly. So, uh, but it's a, it's a good moment for a reckoning. But we all mm-hmm. have to be willing to have that reckoning. Uh, and I think that's really that's really the biggest question mark throughout all of this that I see is we started off real strong, started off real strong, but in true <laughs> American fashion can only keep the outrage up for mm, two weeks most. So with this getting three and a half weeks, I think was a, a new record for that. <laughs> but it's about really sustaining it now and con- like – you know, getting enough people who were, you know, uh, I don't, I'm not gonna say brave, but like who took whatever moment they could to sort out their own lives or their own relationships because of what was going on since May 25th. For people who did that, great. Then you, on some level, you know what the stakes are. But then now, can you really keep going? Because it's most of the problems we're used to dealing with is people are. It's like. This is wrong. You do this. Uh, I want to fix that. Then you got to buy that. Oh, Mm -hmm. this. Even like you know, like if you have a medical condition, it's like you have a treatment, and then you're done. Like it's just like the logic of it. But this is systemic, so this is literally like the 4D chess of treatment. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to even conceptualize because it completely goes outside the bounds of how we normally address issues as people, as a society. It's the same thing. Why? We have such a hard time dealing with patriarchy and misogyny because it's not it's not like, okay, everybody buy this, wear that, only watch this, and eat here. And then misogyny over. It's like, no, no, no. Like it takes constant vigilance and it takes constant awareness to affect that. So I think that's why 
on one level, I get why, you know, I have that bullshit allyship fatigue or people talking about that. It's because I think a lot of people, too, are like there are a lot of overachiever, well-intentioned people on the left, progressives, liberals, whatever, Democrats, however you identify, socialists, whatever. And they're used to being able to solve a problem very quickly or mm -hmm. diagnosing being like, oh, yes. I know this, like, I'm really good with literature, like, blah, 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 blah. I'm a scientist. Okay, so this is that. Mm -hmm. So what, okay, so this is systemic white supremacy. Okay, so what you're going to do is um, you're going to, um, you're going to buy that one book by the guy, uh, how to be anti-racist and then, um, and then go to a march and, and it gets a little very hard to begin being efficient with those solutions. And I think that's why and it's uncomfortable, yeah. like to sustain yeah. for weeks and weeks. You're like sitting in this place. And if you're actually doing it, you're like asking yourself really hard questions or looking at, you know, subtle things that you've done or whatever. And it's like not a very comfortable p place for people to stay in. But like what you said at the beginning, it's important that it's so many people stay in it or like we can't affect the same kind of change. Yeah. And I, it's weird. I think by even, you know, staying in it feels like the language we're even using is like tipping your hat to like this shit's so fucking hard to do. And it is. I'm not saying it isn't. But I think we can also maybe recontextualize how we look at it's that we're not staying in it. It's not like a contest who can stay in the hot tub the longest till it gets too hot and you got to get the fuck out. It's about participating. Mm -hmm. um, it's about contributing. It's not about enduring. And I know on, and yes, I'm not even, I'm not trying to say that you're not enduring these things or going through hardships, but in this allyship sort of context, I think it's about contributing. Um, mm -hmm. What can you you're contribute? Yeah, you bring up a really good point in terms of the language because like we talk about privilege as only, I guess, being seen as a negative thing instead mm -hmm. of seeing privilege is something that is a positive thing. Like it's something you can leverage. Yeah. So when we're saying, oh, like when we're talking about allies enduring, no, the people who are enduring are the people who are suffering from white supremacy. The people who are helping change the world should view that as a privilege and it's something mm -hmm. we get to do and get to participate in versus oh this is something we have to do and it's unpleasant yeah i mean it's a very small price to pay for being on top it's not even unpleasant i mean yes i don't know i mean i understand the personal reckoning to have is uncomfortable that kind of thing is uncomfortable but i tell people you know like if you your white privilege, man, leverage that shit. Like, leverage that shit. Like, if you're going to use it to complain about, well, you know, whatever, whether or not maybe you have or you have not you know, you abused your white privilege. And some <laughs> people have not. But guess what? You can leverage it for good. You could be in an office and you could advocate for a coworker. A group of white people can advocate for a coworker, a black coworker, a person of co whatever, someone who you want to leverage your privilege for because they don't have access to your privilege. So you say, you know what? If five of us say, hey, you really need to pay this person more, like straight up, you just need to. You really should think about this and you need to pay this person more. And if you don't, I'm willing to do X, Y, and Z, whatever that is. You'll be surprised at the kind of results you'll get because a lot of the times too, most interactions are between like myself, I've only been hired by white people. So every person mm -hmm. I've asked for a raise has been white. I've never had a, a superior that wasn't white. And in that context, there is a level that uh, of assistance you might need. Um, or at least have the groundwork laid for you. Information. Information. Taking a coworker who is about to leave saying, yo, this is what I make, and you're about to come into my job, get this money. That's already there. It was there because that's what they paid me. Tell them you know, and you're better at my job than I am, so that this shouldn't be a problem. 
things like that. Transparency is huge. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all meant, you know, the idea that it's like rude to talk about is so absurd. It's just meant to suppress. It's a capitalist myth. Yeah. yeah. It's anti-organizing and anti-workers rights. Yeah, exactly. And it's racist and sexist and yeah. Yeah. For every other reason. But what it does is that it keeps the powerful powerful. But to the point of privilege, you can do a lot just by being a white person the context is different. Five white people going to a superior saying, we know what we make and this person isn't making that. What is going on is different than me going in there by myself saying like, I feel like I should get more money. And they're like, okay, what's that based off of? Uh, based off of the five coworkers who just came in here and told you what was up. <laughs> right. I was, I'm with them. So please, like you can be very creative. Uh, you know, you can settle a dispute. You might see a dispute at a store where uh, someone in the customer role or the customer service role, either or, there's some kind of dispute and one person is treating the other unfairly and it could be a white person acting in a racist way. Then as a white person, you can also intervene because uh, white people tend to typically listen to each other or at least they're shocked if another white person steps in and says that's bad uh, because i think this is the sea change that we we're seeing more of now these are the very like like minimal things you could do like if you see some racist shit going on you can be like i'm a racist person knock that shit off and let me tell you if, if you have someone else to say hopefully there's a, a whole group of people who are like no you're sorry sir you're in the minority of assholes here uh, and we as a group, you know, we didn't even know we were all on the same page, but we've, this is the kind of movement we need to build towards where we can, you know, come together to protect each other. I think being a lot more conscious in every way is essentially what you're saying. Don't sleep at work if you see injustice just because it's not on your little like anti-racist literature reading for the evening or whatever the hell. Like what it just matters what we do in our daily lives mm-hmm. and how uh, we affect change. And uh, one thing about standing up to people who you normally maybe wouldn't stand up to, that I think is maybe the thing that white people fear the most. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're like, oh God, what if I'm uncomfortable with this other white person who is a stranger? You know, it's like, that's that's what what the stakes. Because white privilege is comfort. You know what I mean? That's what white privilege is. It's comfort. It's to not know discomfort. If you just, you know, distill Mm -hmm. it down to a sensation, it's comfort. It's not conflict. It's things are stable. I, I can see, I can see my future into 60 years. I do that. I marry this person. I can move into that neighborhood. They get their pension. I get my pension. They have kids. We have grandkids. We move down here. We're retired. We go on cruise ships and our corpses rot somewhere in the Mediterranean every summer or whatever (laughs) they do. But that is. Hopefully not one of those Corona cruise ships yeah well unless you're a piece of shit i mean yeah well actually no think of the people who work on those cruises so fuck that but that comfort is really what it is and that's why it feels uncomfortable right because that's that's the white privilege being leveraged and it's like what the fuck it's usually not used for this it's normally there to just be like let's let's get each other's back to not talk about some shit Mm-hmm. Let's let's get each other's back to keep this party comfortable and not go there with the discussions. This might be going on in the world, but this is so and so's birthday. We're at a bar. And I don't want to talk about anything heavy or whatever, you know. And and everyone's guilty of that. I'm guilty of that too. This privilege of comfort is a very specific thing. I think in the United States too, because of the seemingly healthy like middle class that exists. But so in those moments, like yes, it feels uncomfortable to confront somebody. But it, it, those tend to be very powerful interactions between people, uh, privileged people, whether that's my privilege checking another person who is f- their class and they're not checking their they're actually being they're lost their class consciousness or the ability to see that, like what the, your difference in quality of life is versus another person's. But it's those are those moments. Yeah, they are uncomfortable, but they're it's the only way, really. And taking those little opportunities, I think you know, we were talking about language earlier, but also just like the people around you, the way that they're phrasing things. I mean, I was going to open mics a lot right before the pandemic hit. And it's like, it is really important to every time you hear somebody talk about trans people in a weird way or whatever, take the opportunity to be like, hey, we don't like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. (laughs) Not even we don't almost be like, first of all, I don't know what decade you're in. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I can only imagine what that's like in comedy 
where there's like some ability to claim artistic license because you see obviously like with a very specific kind of like conservative comedian getting into the you know being censored argument or everything's too politically correct but there has to be some base level that we agree on as a society it's like that doesn't mean these topics are off limits but to use language that is degrading yes. or dehumanizing is absolutely unacceptable. And also um, going back with to the uncomfortable being uncomfortable thing, it's like when you don't challenge the language around you, it gets harder to keep to then not challenge things. You know, once you get used to the habit of saying, oh, this is what's allowed around me. This is what isn't. You, can, mm -hmm. you can't say that around me, then you are spreading the culture you want to be a part of, you know? Now right. the bubble and the space that you're taking up with your anti-racism is forcing the other racist person's bubbles smaller. So mm -hmm. it's really important, uh, I think, to, to think about the sphere of influence that we exert when we're just being vigilant for each other. And like one of those things that I think is coming um, more and more to the consciousness of white people that they're seeing all of the interactions that black people have with police is when you see a black person get pulled over, when you see them get stopped, just stand there, stand there with your camera, stand there with your body. It's exactly what you were saying. Five white people rolling into an office and saying, you can't pay this person like that. Hits a lot different. You know, and mm -hmm. same with if there's five white people watching the way that cops interact with a black person, right. that's going to hit different. So just those little adjustments. Really, that should be feel so invigorating to to a certain mm -hmm. extent, because, yes, while some people are afraid to like engage in this kind of like reckoning because they're like, but I didn't do anything this whole time and I don't want to be canceled because I didn't do anything up until. OK, you know what? <laughs> Uh, shit's been bad for like over 400 years so uh the shit you did nine months ago i'm not really focused on that because right now we're trying to build a different future so mm -hmm. with that in mind can you do something immediately in your in your immediate sphere and to your point sophia you bring up an interesting thing about how part of this is about having a threshold for things that can or cannot be said around you because I think for for most the cishet Christian set in this country, uh, there isn't a damn thing anyone could say to you that is a is a red line. Sure, things can be offensive, but as, for me as a black and Japanese person, there are things that cannot be said around me, or I will I don't know, or I've spent many years figuring out what I would do uh, in a situation like that so I don't cause myself further injury. But what you're talking about, Sophie, in this allyship is what you're saying is I'm joining a group of people who also there are things that cannot be said around them, which is different for me. And I know, Sophia, you, you there are things that cannot be said about you, too. And I don't mean I don't mean to exclude <laughs> anybody's any way they can be discriminated against. But in this very narrow, like American blackness versus whiteness context, that is what you're doing is you're saying, you know what? I join you in that if I hear somebody say the N-word, best believe I'll fucking lose my shit too. And I'm going to- Not even the- Yeah, like the N-word is like the extreme of it. I'm talking yes, about yeah. coded bullshit. Of course, yeah. That you hear like now my dog is ruff roughing in the back. Um, yeah, preach, preach. <laughs> now is the time especially to be like, no, 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 no. However you said that, let's just unpack that for a second because- mm -hmm that can't continue. And I think if everyone, you know, a lot of people are doing that at the same time, that can right. be mega powerful. Yeah. I mean, we'll see how many people stop describing things as ghetto. That's probably yeah, the, right. a lot of people still have that blind spot. And I'm like, mm, hey, the, hold on, hold on. The fuck? Mm -hmm. That happened on 90 Day Fiance and we got yeah. very upset. We were talking about them like, unless you're referencing a historical ghetto like a Jewish neighborhood yeah, in Europe like, or if something. It's not the Warsaw ghetto. Like shut your fucking yeah. mouth. Like, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but it, it is really powerful in that sense because everything is, you want to just make sure that everything you say, you know, uh, a black person could be around you and never, ever be like, Oh, these people are on some bullshit. Like, even though they're not violent, there are plenty of times I'll be around some, but you can you, even, you'll be around people, you know, Oh, these people are on some bullshit. Like they're mm -hmm. not, 
they're ignorant with it. Like you'll meet somebody's new boyfriend or you meet somebody's something at a wedding or something. You're like, oh, oh, you are on some bullshit. <laughs> you're smiling at me, but you're like saying all this stuff of like, he's like, oh man, you guys are really good at dancing, huh? Or some shit. And you're like, what the fuck you got? What the fuck? And then you're like, okay, smiling uncle who meant that as a compliment, but he's on some ignorant bullshit. Whether he's just being a smiling racist or just innocent, ignorant person. Those are like subtle things that immediately go, man, what the fuck? You know. So you want to be somebody who knows you're never going to get caught slipping like that because you're conscious of how powerful language is. I think maybe that's the other thing is you just have to realize your words are very, very powerful, like very powerful, whether that means putting your child off from ever wanting to play the piano again or having somebody just because of the way you describe something think you are anti-black. Uh, it's, it's very, very powerful. When our routines are changed, it is easy to forget to check in with yourself. How are you feeling? Do you need a break? Do you need to hit pause and take a moment for yourself? Guess what? Dipsy can help. That's right. Sometimes you just need a moment to masturbate. And that's where Dipsy comes in because it's an audio app full of short, sexy stories and guided sessions that are designed to turn you on and help you get in touch with yourself literally. And the stories are relatable and immersive, so you feel like you're right there. And there's something for everyone. I don't care what your kink is, who you're into, what situations you're into, what kind of play you're into, it's all there. Plus they add new content every week and they send you a newsletter to let you know about it. So there's always more to explore and you can find stories about a spontaneous hookup with a hot stranger. Um, yes, please. Getting closer with that sexy yoga instructor that you can't stop thinking about. Meow. Or even stories about trying that new toy together or getting tied up. Ooh. That, that's the one. That's Sign the one. me up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for listeners of Private Parts Unknown, Dipsy's offering a 30-day free trial right now when you go to dipsystories.com slash private. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash private. Dipsystories.com slash private. Catch you in the sheets. And you have to stay humble, too, because it's like, dude, even no matter how progressive or liberal you think you are, like, if you watch old Sex in the City episodes... <laughs> The way that they talk about different groups of people is crazy, right. like crazy. And yeah. that was the most popular show of the time, you know, not that long ago. Yeah. So it's like all this shit is in our most popular shows. It's happening among all kinds of people, you know, despite their intentions. So I think we all have to be open to being called out and like changing the way that we think about and talk about things. Yeah. Well, I think it, liberals have to go – I say liberal because that's a very specific kind of person who just votes Democrat and thinks everything's okay now. Uh, that's mm -hmm. what I'm describing as like a liberal. Liberals, they're like the characters in The Office who when Michael Scott says some racist shit, they're like Jim in The Office. They just look at the camera and go, uh-oh. <laughs> not going hey knock that shit off michael stop right knock you the fuck out for talking some dumb shit again talking about meredith's titties like that in the office out your mind you gasped when you looked at her genitals that first of all this is all kinds of fucked up it's just like this look to camera and it's that like i know that's bad but mm -hmm. i am not gonna do anything about that because i'm not touching not that yeah yeah but I know it's bad, so bing, 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 I get points for at least knowing that's bad. And it's about going a step further, which is to intervene or to actually be vocal about what is wrong with the behavior, to be critical, to be more openly confrontational when, when you see things like that. And I think it also goes by extension to even how the Democrats legislate things where it's like, well, we know people not having insurance is a problem. Yeah, I get that the solution would be to give everybody health care that they didn't have to pay for. But come on, uh, like we'll go this far. But come on, we get points because we know like, oh, isn't it so bad that this is what's going on? Isn't it so bad what's going on with their health care? Isn't it so bad what's going on with this, what that or the other? And it, that happens just with any, you know, I think with any problem solving, it's like 
it, it can't just be, isn't it so bad? It's like now demonstrate you understand what the problem is by solving it like very effectively. Um, and the office is kind of the most nihilist, but also accurate portrayal of a kind of a white supremacist and not just white supremacist, but sexist, all all kind of a, a system because... With Michael um, Scott and the entire so time, yeah. Jim. Yeah, but the entire time, Jim can get another job. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that you willfully, for years, stay around somebody that awful, even though they're that awful? Because you're like kind of like a girl, and you feel like you couldn't like her if you were at another job. Yeah. Well. Like, I mean, but that's so true. So many people are locked into these jobs and into these like patterns, you know? I think that's what's so real about it. The nihilist part of it is like real. People are like, we're in this dead end job. Stanley's like, I, my boss is a racist idiot. He's like, I'm not going to go to another job because probably he's also there. A different guy, but the same guy. So in in that way, when you watch it, you're like, oh, these people are like part of this and they don't want to leave and they don't want to talk to him it is way different right now i haven't watched an episode because i think i'm like man see the michael scott's of the world were motherfuckers we were just letting get by this whole Mm -hmm. time and that's and we'd be like it seems not dangerous but it's so dangerous yeah not that michael scott is the you know the lone wolf right-wing terrorism but that michael scott mentality of being like, that's ah, just he's an idiot, you know, and whatever. Uh, that's they don't know better, but you know that's just how they are. It's that way of handling people like that. That's why we don't have any kind of reckoning, is because, like, we felt like that was a victory for you know inclusion. It was like mm-hmm. the worst kind of person will be a Michael Scott kind of person who like does problematic stuff. Uh, or is problematic and will have all these other things going on and, and and be offensive in all these other ways. But we give them a pass because it's not it's not violent. It's not violent. That's the it, that's the, that's the difference. It's not violent ignorance and racism. It's just willful. That's it. <laughs> yeah. But in the meantime, he like holds that high position at the company. Yeah. Everybody else stays low. Oh, well, what can you do? You know, but I think, yeah, that's the difference. That's what we got to push past the office and go towards checking the Michael Scott's of our lives. You know, don't be a gym anymore. I love that. Finally, something in like a language I can understand, you know. <laughs> I'm like, who should we tell them to get behind from the office? And then I can't think of anyone. Mindy Kaling just left. So maybe her. <laughs> huh. Yeah, that's maybe the best outcome yeah go get another show on the show go get your own show (laughs) yeah i don't know it's that universe (laughs) is so so twisted i'm sure there are like people because i know there was like stanley there was episode like when he was in his past he was like you know fighting the power because i remember the weight loss episode he was like how he used to look in the 70s uh, when he was like, oh, I you know, forgot in the about that. Yeah. So I know Stanley was like a bit of a revolutionary, you know, sold out as people would say in the eighties <laughs> or whatever. But uh, I don't know. It's I, I feel like I've given that that franchise like probably at least like years of my life in terms of viewing time. So I'll leave that alone. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Everybody has, you know. <laughs> yeah, who hasn't been high at three a.m. Sophia, if I were to ask you to name a member of the Beatles or New Kids on the Block, could you answer in under 15 seconds? Yes, incorrectly. Well, (laughs) hopefully you'd get the answer right. But if the answer is yes, then you need to play Trivia Star. And honestly, if the answer is no, you still need to play Trivia Star. You can learn some stuff. I would agree with that. Yeah, Trivia Star is a free mobile quiz game that is entertaining and challenging. You can choose categories like music, sports, movies, TV, animals. That's the one I can do. Celebrities. There are over 60 categories to choose from, so there's always more trivia to explore. If you choose the correct answer from multiple choices and beat the clock, you move on to the next level. I love me a good addiction. (laughs) (laughs) And the questions get harder over time, but if you get stuck, don't worry. You can use coins and gems to get a hint and beat the level. And Trivia Star has 
2,000 five-star reviews in the Apple Store. Join them today and see if you're smart enough to win. And right now, Trivia Star is offering you 2,500 coins and 500 gems. Ooh, I love gems. When you download and play, just go to the Apple or Google Store and search for Trivia Star. Again, search Trivia Star and enjoy 2,500 coins and 500 gems. Mmm. Gem me up, baby. Download Trivia Star for free today. So, Miles, we have been asking everyone for this series three questions. Mm -hmm. So let's get into it. First of all, what's your favorite work of art by a black artist? Can be a favorite. I know, I know, I know. And then everyone goes, how can you pick one? How can it be just one? Um, <laughs> that is what everybody says, but yeah, that's a so fair it's already question. loaded. So I will say like this: if a work of art, um, and I'm going to go outside of the like Western white concept of like fine art, I will say that the album Donuts by Jay Dilla is one of my favorite works of art by a black artist. And I say this because the story of the making of this album is very, very unique and harrowing uh he was suffering with lupus um and made the album in he was so sick he could barely he had to go to the hospital basically but he had to keep making the album because he was so you know that the only thing he knew what to do is be on his mpc and make beats all the time and even when he was hospitalized his brother snuck in his recording equipment so he could finish this album as he died um because he was so you know, just a dedicated beat maker. Oh. He's just one of the greatest hip hop producers of all time, if not the greatest hip hop producer of all time. Um, working with like a tribe called Quest to Most Deaf to Buster Rhymes best, to yeah. everybody, like everybody um, has worked with Jay Dill. Anybody who's anybody, okay? Um, and his album to me is a brilliant piece of art, not only because of the backstory, he passed away, I think, either two days on either side of it, either coming out. So either before it came out or it came oh, out shit. and then he like and then he passed away, I think around the age of 35 or six. And this album is filled with like this. It's like this love letter to his existence. Uh, and it's like by, by far his most experimental work before it was very like boom bap. Like what you think of a tribe called Quest beat is like was like a Dilla type sample based hip hop beat. But he was getting into so much more like looping and using samples differently, like chopping up. There's like there's one where there's Jada Kiss saying something. He's saying it's that real, but he's like alters it so it sounds like he's saying is death real? Is death real? And this man is making this oh shit dying. Um, and it's one of the greatest albums of all time. I could talk about Jay Dilla's music all day, but that album to me is brilliant and i'll go further and i have to keep going actually if, if you will allow me to i think sample this based is amazing can i first say you have to do a podcast about you have to do at least that episode of that story uh, that's there amazing. are so many there are so many great podcasts about jay Dillow. there's a great documentary on youtube uh that like uh, that's a great insight into his contributions uh but thank you so much um <clears throat> i would love to, i would love to talk dilla all day but with sample based hip hop i think is a really black art form in that you're taking scraps of existing things and making something of your own out of it whether you're sampling other black artists or things from around the world it's about just a, this efficiency with what is out there because you know what you might not have a, a background to know how to play a piano um, or <laughs> how to read music but if your ear is good enough, you know how music sounds. So you can begin taking, you know, from pieces of music that are lying around you because you don't know how to play it. But, you know, that sounds good with this. And you do know enough to like like beat a rhythm out on the MPC or something like that, that you can sort of overcome these other barriers. Not to say that most of these producers are talented musicians, but there is a thing about this aesthetic of sample use that feels very like historical and everything is so intentional uh, with it. Like, you know, you want to use this section of this song and use it this many times in your track because this is what it gives to it. So when you listen to a lot of this album, like, you know, you just let it play and it's just, uh, it's a beautiful, it's a work of art. It's a work of art. I think the Tao of Wu talks too a lot about the specific art of sampling and like, 
also how you can create new genres out of genres that already exist. Like you Mm -hmm. can take a little bit of a classical thing, a little bit of a soul thing, a little bit of a whatever. And when you put it together, it's entirely new, which I also thought was really dope. Which is like the same with, you know, music, like black music, people coming in from the sugarcane plantations from the Caribbean who had more of like, like a Latin sense of rhythm uh, combining with other people. I mean, there's always just this, taking bits of the experience and putting it together that like makes something beautiful. And I think that's like, what's really beautiful about just sort of the like metaphor of sample based music like that. Yeah. You don't have the same kind of equipment and you're still making something dope. It's so cool. Okay. Question number two, what impact has race had on your experiences in dating and relationships? Oh boy. (laughs) um uh i don't know i learned the most about america from dating white women i've had my whitest experiences from dating white women like eating fucking chicken breasts that had like instant mashed potatoes coated around it that was mixed with ranch dressing uh, and like an embarrassing part of America. Potatoes. Yo, my high you school just girlfriend. Them so quick. This family, man. <laughs> I I don't I couldn't I they they were very outwardly nice to me, but I know that I knew they weren't stoked that I was her boyfriend. Uh, but it wasn't like anything ever terrible. This food I would have over there, like my mom's <laughs> Japanese. Okay, I never had a lot of processed shit like. Everything, I had a lot of white rice and fish and other things that like my dad would, whatever, but not like out the box shit. Never, never. And so it was all foreign to me. And so it was, it was dope though. Cause I was like, whoa, I was like 17 and be like, I've never had this experience before. And so that was very eye opening for me. I think that the way that it played into it. I tended to be like the first person of color, like with the white women I've dated, the first person of color that they've dated. And I feel like maybe I'm a gateway swirl uh, partner. You're the Jackie Robinson of swirling. (laughs) Yeah, like I just, like I let you know it's okay. In fact, you might like it. In fact, I see you on Instagram now. Hey, shout out to that wedding. I saw you jump the broom. Okay, good for you. You married black. I salute you. I was touch and go there for a minute, but uh, it all worked out. It's weird because up until now, I never bothered talking about race with any uh, white women I dated. With like, really? you know, the, yeah, with like some of the black girls or like Latin girls that I've dated. It's it. We, we already knew what it was because we were not white, so I didn't have to be like, man, like white people are tripping, huh? Like, <laughs> like, it's never like a. <laughs> Those aren't the kind of conversations you have when you're um, in a group of not white people. Like it's all of this. We, we all agree this on is like so those embarrassing base for all white people. So there are times <laughs> where so like funny. I'm not gonna say that in front of Jessica because she's not gonna understand me. And also like when I was younger, I wasn't articulate enough to be able to explain oppressive white supremacy in the context of. Why was I only the per- only person in high school that got busted because I had mm-hmm. a lineup and a fade and I had a part etched into my hairline when I had a hairline? So <laughs> when I can't explain that my hair is being policed differently to a 17-year-old white girl in rocket dog, chunky-ass sandals, uh, you know, <laughs> in her like brother's Ford F-150 pickup that has the boom and sound system in it. Um, so I can't like it affects it on other levels, like whether they're fetishizing my, you know, not whiteness or maybe sometimes I'm chasing them for their whiteness. I don't know. Like it's I think it maybe has it in the attraction sense. But again, like just like with identifying people who were bullshit, I could tell immediately if you're like and these are my friends. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I'm like, oh, you're the good one. Oh, you're the good. OK, so no, I don't want anything to do with this group. Like I don't, I don't even have the energy to be able to like endure dumb comments being made about like because a lot of the times i'm not being seen as black or passing as black to some white people and they want to say some wild shit and i gotta be like okay now i'm screaming at this bar 
and mm-hmm. everyone's like, what happened to him? I thought that guy was Filipino. Uh, <laughs> and you're like, see, and I'm like, this is why this is all like, this is the fucking world y'all live in. I got to go. And like, you're caping for this man who is saying this dumb racist shit. Like, it's stupid. And it comes all the way back around to like, if you're trying to censor your speech based on who you think is around, like, that's exactly what we're talking about. It can't be that way. You have to. <laughs> yeah. If if we're really doing this, we're doing this. Yeah. I remember, this is like kind of the perfect example, but I remember the first time that I was with, because I grew up in a small town, like no one was actually out and so like gay was like something that existed out like i don't know i didn't know in that anyone, other county you know? yeah in saint paul <laughs> <laughs> so i was with someone in early college and at this job and then we were at a bar but it was the first time i could hear how people talked about gay people through his eyes exactly some dumbass being like that's gay or you know whatever it just felt different Mm -hmm. and then i was like oh like i knew that that was wrong before but i could feel exactly how wrong that was and that's like kind of what we're talking about here empathy is key to all of this and extending that to literally in every direction now i think is like what we need uh Mm -hmm. the most i feel like things are a lot different now like my partner now I think my relationship with her has lasted the longest because she was able to articulate her understanding of systemic racism very early on. Not that she was like, just so you know, I know about redlining and I know that it began with like, it's, it wasn't something like that, but you can just tell with like the outrage that they could, that they they would express over something. I'm like, Oh, okay. Look at you. I, I'm like years ago the bar was very low or I wasn't I not it wasn't often that someone would actually articulate like a solid critique of like you know the our current system or something like that or or, or a given news event and with everything that's happened since May 25th and George Floyd's death and everyone's attention on Breonna Taylor's death murder Ahmaud everybody that I've seen her do like the work that I had never thought I would ever see because I'm not, I, I live with her. So I, I, I see what white, a white person does in their home uh, and other people, you know what I mean? Like other people, other friends, I don't know what they do in their home. I don't know how they're, what the, what they're doing. Uh, I know what their Instagram posts are. I know what the things they put on Twitter are, but I don't know what they're doing in their home or like mm-hmm. what, how they're doing it. And I was going through a very dark time during that because I couldn't actually, and this is another thing that was related, like I was having a hard time relating to her in this very specific way about anti-black racism in this country. And I would, but I wasn't expecting her to. I was just like, I'm also a person who needs to be by themselves to heal a bit um, and like talk with like, you know, some family and things like that where I could reset. But she gave me the space to do that because she knew that's what I needed. And I uh, commend her because other, I did have other people who were a little bit more interested in like checking up and I just couldn't respond. And I feel bad that I couldn't, but I just didn't have that energy to do that. But in the time that I was doing my own thing, she was just trying to figure out everything she could do. Like in the very narrow context of like, okay, I know there's a, a pandemic. Like maybe I can, I can bring water somewhere. Like, can I hand water out of my car? Can I, you know, uh, give somebody like a ride or these other things? And I was really shocked. I was really touched because for me, being black and Japanese and just being an American, living the not white American experience, I was just, just I was just expecting everybody to just kind of be mad about it and like the super, the woke warriors were gonna mm-hmm. get out there, but. It wasn't just her, like many people like y'all were doing so much more than normal that it was weird. It, it, to me, it was like, whoa, like there's a new, a new energy about it, but it's interesting to see how that evolved. Where like it through, through all of this really chaotic, turbulent time, I'm like now sort of seeing these new dimensions in my relationship specifically where I'm like wow, like, A, I should have been, like, expecting more. Or I got mad that I was, like, so, like, nihilistic or defeatist about it. 
and like then I felt guilty about that too. But it was <laughs> but it was interesting to see all of that happen and I think it's given people the opportunity to sort of like get in touch with their humanity and their own power and, and contribute however they can. So yeah, that's how that's been a nice thing of like how race how dating somebody has made me believe in white people a little more too. I mean, like I, you know, I, she's white. I love her. You know, she's Jewish. I love her. I love the the Russian Jews out there. Uh, hey. Bless you. But I was just always like, you know, I know her family's cool. Like they're not bad people. They're good people. Like they're they also say all the right things and are very aware. But it's like when you start seeing people do the right things, that is very heartening. Uh, and that's. And that was a benefit I got from being in this interracial relationship is I feel like I saw something very vividly up close that was great. Also, it's very hard to find other black and ease women, you know, my age uh, out there. It's a, <laughs> it's a very new thing. If you're younger, there are black and ease people. So like, you know, not, I, the, sw the swirl continues you're in the this pro house. prototype. I believe Andre 3000 sang about you. you are the prototype. Oh, man. I love that song. <laughs> that but song yeah. is the shit. Not to say that, you know, I'm not trying to knock against anyone dating or not dating whoever they want to, but that was an uh, unexpected benefit. Uh, yeah. Or no, it was just a, a moment or insight that I gained from there because I was really fucked up just being like, fuck, fuck it. Fuck, fuck most of these people in this country. Everybody's too comfortable. And to see people get uncomfortable was cool. So come on in. The water is racist. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but if enough of us get in here, the temperature will change. Exactly. You know what I mean? Mm. So on that note, what is the one thing you want people to know about how to be a better ally? Is that you can do something immediately or very quickly and it's to not look at this issue of allyship or not an issue or this concept of allyship or this issue problem of racism as something you are doing by yourself with a snap of your fingers. Like that's not what this is at all. This is a, a movement for liberation. If, if we're really like we're going there, that's what this is. Um, and there are ways to participate very immediately in the ways that you have power. So like we were saying before, if you can advocate for someone in your workplace to be paid equally, do that. You're not going to get fired for doing that. Is it by state where you, some states you can, like you are barred from actually discussing your salary? I mean, look, if they really want to fire you, they can fire you, but okay, theoretically. So, no, 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 you are protected by the federal government. Um, you can, like it, it says, employers can't ban the discussion of salary and working conditions among employees. Uh, so again, whether you work as an administrator somewhere and you can find a way to allocate more funding for something or create a new program at your dance studio where you want to allow uh, a black choreographer to teach a class there or whatever, when this pandemic subsides, there are so many ways for people just to like everyone in some ways has like the ability to let somebody in on some level. Doesn't mean like, well, I don't own a business or whatever. You know what? You could help somebody on some personal shit. Everyone has that capability. At whatever level of, you know, influence you have in a given situation, really try and get in touch with that and think creatively. It's like, well, I can do something even in my very at, at, as a florist maybe or as this or as that. Maybe I can teach people this skill that I have because I know I'm feeding myself with this skill. Why don't I empower other people to also learn this skill or trade or whatever? It might be unique, but it's a way for somebody to have a living. And that's, you've actually then created opportunity for somebody to that. I mean, so be creative. You know, I had a friend who works for a local government and he's a bureaucrat and he wasn't like, ah, you know, I'm not the mayor or whatever, but he was able to talk with people in the health department and got them to come around to declaring white supremacy as a health a hazard as like a public safety hazard. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and it doesn't solve everything, but by having that designation, it does create more funding. And there are mm -hmm. things like, it's like, yeah, fuck it. Like I, I could do something like that and that would get some little more money here, there, but just be creative and feel your power because on some level you do, it's not that your daddy war bucks and you're going to white savior the fuck out of something. It's that you can be a really good human being and advocate for another human being with the skills you have as a human being. And I think it's easy and look at it like that because that's a really dope way 
where it's great. It's not like, well, how do we get Trump out of the way? Mm-mm. Can you give, can you give, can you hire somebody? Can you give something? Can you take something off somebody's plate? Can you, whatever. That's, that's like, start there and do a bunch of that shit first. And yes, obviously those other opportunities are come there, but past election day, it's not like you, it ends with you voting against Trump. That's not what it is. It's like, it's this contribution. It's just being like, let me contribute to the greater good. But through this context of like how I can also help a particularly vulnerable group. And I have some ability to, to, to aid in that. I love that. That's great. Beautifully said. Thank you, Miles. Where You're can welcome. everybody find you? You can find me at the Sophia S O F I Y A. Stop on it. My it's other podcast, Private Parts Unknown, with my co-host Beyonce. Courtney Kosak, and I have a new album out. If you haven't heard about my new album, get it. It was number one on the charts, baby, on iTunes. I have receipts. I have screenshots. I do not lie. Miles, um, do and your what about own you? Handles. Sophia, oh. <laughs> I feel like you have to. You can find me on. This uh, is what we do on 420 Day Beyond. Twitter needs to do it as well. yeah. Twitter, Instagram, uh, Miles of Gray, Daily Zeitgeist. If you want a daily news, politics, culture show, me, Jack O'Brien, and a hilarious guest, and then. Uh, Really, 420 Day Fiance. That's really what we're here for, Sophia. That's all, that's that's how all of this happens. That's how it all comes together is weed and trash reality shows. So that's the other way I uh, practice self-care through particularly trying times uh, is watch. I just get dumb high and watch 90 Day Fiance and then talk shit with Sophia. So check out our other podcast. It's a pretty good coping mechanism. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Miles. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for listening. I hope you all didn't, you know, skip. <laughs> no skipping on racism. Well, that was a romp, Courtney. Would you not say? I feel like we just flew through that interview. Yeah, he really makes it fun. And uh, also educational, you know? I really like to learn while I'm laughing. I think that's <laughs> the best way to do it. And we have more, right? This is not the end of the series. Yeah, the exciting thing is that we have so many episodes in the can. Our next one is going to be with Selena the Stripper, who's one of our favorite mm. um, people. Super smart, great activist, insanely sexy, all of the things. And then we also have another episode after that with Greg Edwards, who's a comedian and an artist who does this really bomb redlining art. And I don't know, we have OnlyFans content. We have an Ashley, Ashley Madison, Madison feature. <laughs> oh my God, you guys. I feel like we might start some affairs and I, I, I don't <laughs> want the blood on my hands, but I just feel like we have to face facts. <laughs> I think what you meant to say is you don't want the cum on your hands. But. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you know what? I think the point of this podcast is whether we're traveling uh, physically or not, we're always expanding our minds and finding out about stuff that previously we might not have considered or known much about. So yeah, listening to somebody talk about stuff you've never tried is like a great way to travel also. Yeah. And you guys, I we can't, understate this OnlyFans series is going to be epic we're doing an epic exploration and we're going to go back to you know anti-racism is not a fad it is not a trend it is something that we need to sustain so we will be doing more episodes yeah this is a commitment of our show to like a permanent commitment so this anti-racism series will um basically keep re-emerging so we're never going to be done with it for as long as the podcast is around we're always going to want to champion black voices marginalized voices that's what we do and i feel like listen you guys we i have so many and i know sophia does too just bookmarks and people in mind of people that we want to bring on for the series and i think not to pat ourselves on the back, but I think we've done a pretty damn good job of selecting people so far. But we would also love any recommendations if you're like, hey, there's this person that I think would be amazing for the series. We would love to hear from you. Definitely. Um, we always love tips of guests and people that inspire you guys and people you want to hear more from. Hey, Sophia, what's that bomb ass music? 
I'm so glad you asked. This music is by our dope friend, Amy Roche. You should buy her album. You should listen to it on Spotify. Her name is spelled Amy R-A-A-S-C-H. And this episode was mixed by Mike Castaneda from Plastic Audio. We We love love you, Mike. Mike. Again, somehow they just keep getting worse. I know. People are like, why are you still doing the singing bit? Can you (laughs) think of something else, you lazy asses? (laughs) It's dead. Know when something's not working and walk (laughs) away. Just walk away. We can't. We can't. I can't break up with men and I can't walk away from this failed bit. (laughs) I can't leave you and I won't. (laughs) Is an attitude that I think... uh, Kind of sums us up, Courtney. <laughs> you know what it's time for, Sophia. Burr, 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 burr. It's the review of the week. Hell yeah. Love these two. This show is so entertaining and educational. It makes me want to travel the world with Sophia and Courtney. And I get to. I cannot recommend this enough for learning about love and sexuality across different cultures. Two thumbs way up. Thank you, C. Poder. Thanks for the classic uh, Roger and Ebert ref. Really, really loving it. Two thumbs up your asshole on this (laughs) podcast, okay? (laughs) One thumb in your pussy, one thumb in your ass. Only if it's consensual. Yes, of course. And for some amazing memes about pussies and asses, please follow us on social media. We are at Private Parts Unknown on Instagram and at Private Parts Un on Twitter. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye.